Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Where were you when the world stopped turning On that September day Were you in the yard With your wife and children Or working on some stage in L.A. Did you stand there in shock At the sight of that black smoke Rising against that blue sky Did you shout out in anger And fear for your neighbor Or did you just sit down and cry? Did you weep for the children Who lost their dear loved ones Pray for the ones who don't know? Did you rejoice for the people Who walked from the rubble And sobbed for the ones left below? Did you burst out with pride For the red, white, and blue the heroes who died just doing what they do Did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer And look at yourself and what really matters I'm just a singer of simple songs I'm not a real political man I watch CNN but I'm not sure I can tell you The difference in Iraq and Iran I know Jesus and I talk to God. It is September the 11th, 2023, a Monday afternoon. Things are a little bit different on the program today. Every Monday I ask my friend Carl Carlson to come along and share with us some, some insights, some information, some advice on financial matters. And I've asked him to, to stand down this week. We'll get him rescheduled. We will only have a couple of pieces of music today, ordinarily. We got some pretty cool bumper music. People enjoy it. Uh, not today. Not today. We will use those opportunities to listen to some of the radio traffic that occurred on September the 11th, 2001. Radio traffic with law enforcement, fire departments, airplanes pilots of those airplanes where were you when the world stopped turning September the 11th 2001 is a day that is a seminal event 
It is one of those days and one of those events that is seared into your memory if you lived through it. Where was I? I was in Las Vegas, Nevada. I had finished up celebrating my birthday. Now, last week, I told you, September 9th is my birthday. I made a big deal out of it. Why not? It's my birthday. And there were plenty of people say, oh, come on, Jeff, get over the fact that you're a birthday. But see, believe it or not, I did it for a reason, and it wasn't just to tell you that it was my birthday. It was to try and put in perspective what life was like the day before these attacks, and then on the day of the attacks, and then the day after the attacks. September the 11th, 2001, I'm doing mornings in Las Vegas, Nevada, KXNT. Heidi had uh, never really lived away from the Boston area. And this was our first move as a married couple. Now, I was excited. I mean, I was a radio guy. So the opportunity to go someplace new, someplace different, different station, different audience, that, that at that time, that really appealed to me. And I was happy to go. I was tired of snow and ice and all the rest of that stuff in Boston. and said, yep, we're going to do it. And we did it. And I, quite frankly, loved Las Vegas. I really did. Heidi was not crazy about it, but she learned to, to love a bit of it. So September the 9th, it's my birthday. But we're also brand new parents. We've got this teeny, tiny little guy. Harry was essentially brand new. He was only born back in July. Still came with his carrying case, you know. My dad had passed passed away five days before Harry was born. I was already up and down and up and down. This emotional roller coaster made no sense to anybody, least of all me. So what was going on September the 11th? Well, I'll tell you what, I was recovering from September the 10th. September the 10th was a Monday. We had our big Monday night football event. And I was out at this party. And it wasn't a party party. It was, you know, a group of listeners. And we were at uh, a a neighborhood casino. I don't recall which one. But we were out there. We were having a great time and talking about what we talk about on the radio and watching the Monday night football game and all that good stuff. And I said, well, listen. Around 11 o'clock at night, I think. I said, yeah, I got to go. I left. I came home. Harry was asleep in a a bassinet, I guess you call it, a little basket thing. Heidi was asleep. Got into bed, trying to be very, very quiet. And I I knew I was going to be getting up in just a couple of hours. You know, it's always the difference when you look at uh, radio stations in different parts of the country. And, And I don't mean this in an offensive way, but it is just fundamentally true. When you are in larger markets, things are just a little different. And so for my morning show in Las Vegas meant that I was up. My alarm used to go off around 1 o'clock in the morning and be at the radio station probably by 2 o'clock at the latest to prepare for this show that hit 5 o'clock in the morning. So I only got an hour, 
90 minutes maybe of sleep. I was able to sort of drag myself into the shower and get washed and sort of kind of wake up and drive to the radio station. And I remember saying to uh, Steve, who was my producer, he's called British Steve, and you can you can figure out the initials for British Steve and why we would call him that. But but I said to British Steve, man, there is nothing happening today, is there? And he's like, no. So this is going to be brutal, yeah. Because see, Steve was out at the party as well Monday Night Football, but Steve stayed till the very end, so he was out there till like one o'clock in the morning. And we just kept looking at each other, and you you got to remember that. Uh, cell phones and and the interwebs as we know them now, not exactly the same thing in 2001. And we were just like banging our heads against the wall. Man, what are we going to be talking about? I kept saying we. It's like, whoa, 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 what about the, what is this we stuff? (laughs) It's you. (sighs) Okay. Remember, Las Vegas is Pacific time, so these attacks that happened, Around 8.30, 8.45, 9 o'clock in the morning here on the East Coast happened at uh, 5, 5.30, 5.36 out on the West Coast. And uh, I remember sitting there saying, yeah, I had a great time last night at the Monday Night Football Party. All these great listeners and love everybody who's part of the show. It's all fantastic. And I got to be honest with you, kids. I, I just, I don't know. It's going to it's going to be one of those days that I just don't have a huge amount of information or material that, I, that I'm processing and I'm tired and blah, 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 blah. We had our TV monitors on in the studio, and I'm kind of looking out of the corner of my eye, and I think I see something. I'm not entirely sure. It looks kind of weird. And then Steve comes in from the other room and says, hey, hey, an airplane just hit the World Trade Center. And I thought, oh, really? What am I thinking? I'm thinking it's one of these weekend warriors, guy with a Piper Cub or a Cessna at uh, Teterboro, the little airport in northern New Jersey. And I'm thinking, oh, jeez. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that, I guess, in a moment. But you and I both know we wound up talking about something else. I will share more with you in a moment or two. I want to remind you, you're always welcome to... Uh, to jump in here, and I would love for you to text me some information, please, at 833-804-1140, 833-804-1140. You tell me. You tell me where you were on September the 11th, 2001. What were you doing on September 11th, 2001? Feel free to text that now at 833-804-1140. 315, Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRVA. Uh, 
got to confess to you, I'm, I'm sitting here, and it's going to be a tough day. It's going to be a tough day. I've got, I, I've got chills as I, I remember this day. Every single year, I, I do my best to put together pieces from that day because I, I believe to my core it's my obligation to keep this memory front and center, to keep it alive as long as I can. And I'm one of millions of people who lived through this. But there's an entire generation that didn't. My sons have no idea what those World Trade Center towers look like personally. Oh, they've seen it at movies or television shows. But see, I used to drive up the Jersey Turnpike, and I can remember the trips. I made a lot of them, turning to the right and seeing those twin towers there. And I can remember the first time I, I drove the turnpike after the attacks and turning to the right and realizing, good Lord, they really are not there. I got into a uh, kerfuffle an hour or so ago with my oldest boy, Harry. Of course, right? No great surprise, because Harry knows everything. But I'm sitting inside. And I'm listening to some of the audio and some music and things that are going to be special for today's program. And Harry says, well, are you going to talk about such and such and such? What are you doing, a special 9-11 show? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, well, what about this and what about that? And he's talking about political things and war and this. And I said, listen to me. I said, I know you're brilliant. Believe me. Oh, believe me. I've known my entire life just how brilliant you are. However... For those of us who lived through this, this is an entirely different experience, and it is a day for us. I understand all the issues you're talking about, pal, but not today. Today is, for me, far too meaningful, far too emotional. This is about living through a a shared experience. Now, there are political things we have to discuss, of course. Our president of the United States, and probably the most despicable act in his despicable career, chooses not to be at the Pentagon or, or Ground Zero or Shanksville. His choice. It's appalling. It's embarrassing. It's, it's just, it is vile and despicable. But we'll talk about that in the later days. Today is thinking about what you and I went through, but we were on the ground and we were safe. This is really all about is remembering those who were who were involved personally, I mean up close and personally. We have a, a snippet here from American 73, American 73's recording, cut number two, please. The I don't know where the hell they're getting married until I said Washington is in the clue when I called Washington about it. They didn't know what the hell was going on. It's incredible, isn't it? It's just incredible. What is going on? People don't know what's going on. Those of us on the ground don't know. We see the first airplane hit the tower, and my first thought, as I said, well, it's one of those weekend pilots from Teterboro, New Jersey. You know how those guys are with the little Piper Cub things. And then you realize, oh, no, 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 no. It's a giant jet. It's a real plane. 
and somebody just flew it into the tower intentionally. Right? Did we think intentionally at first, or did we think, oh, no, this is just some terrible accident? Well, what about the second plane? See, when the second plane hit, there were no doubts anymore. Everybody in the United States of America, everybody around the world realized we're under attack. We are under attack. And things began to change. So much began to change. Everything began to change. The life you had the day before did not exist anymore. The, the ability to live in the way we did the, the day before was no longer an option. And there were tremendous men and women who raced into burning buildings, knowing they wouldn't come out. There were people from around the country who traveled to New York to help. We'll be talking about all of that as we head through the afternoon. 326, Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRVA. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free I love this country, you know. I come from a family where, where many members have served. And I am continually looking for opportunities to salute those who serve. September the 11th, 2001, we saw so many deaths from so many selfless people. It, it, it's tough sometimes to process the numbers. Every year uh, I share with you the numbers and, and you'll note the numbers on September the 11th, 2001, but we, we also need to be aware of the numbers who have died since then as a result of their service. September the 11th, 2001, 343 members of the New York City Fire Department perished. 343 firefighters. There were 72 police officers who died that day, including, I should point out, because this agency is very special and we have friends who have served there, 37 members of the Port Authority Police Department of New York and New Jersey. It is the largest ever single-day line-of-duty death situation for a single uh, agency period 37 and 343 firefighters and and countless others and and we sometimes forget it wasn't just the men and the women who had their their boots on the ground that day there were people law enforcement officers firefighters emts who came from other parts of the country so my god what can i do to help now nobody could fly 
The reason I mentioned the uh, the Port Authority police in New York, I shared with you, being in Las Vegas, it's where we were on September the 11th, 2001, didn't know uh, at that point really what was going on. I wound up being on the air, I don't know, I think 16 hours, 18 hours that day. It was crazy. But I remember cops, because everybody knew that I was an ex-cop, cops calling and going, Jeff, I'm headed to New York. There are a bunch of us going. There are a bunch of us retired Port Authority guys. We're all going to New York. We don't know what we're going to do, but we're going. How about a uh, an EMT who decides, oh, I'm going to go. I mean, I just, I, I do want you to think about this. Somebody who doesn't have to go. Somebody who is, is not on duty in New York City. But somebody who said, I'm going to go. Tim Bendig is one of those guys, and I'm happy to say that Tim is joining us today. Tim, thanks for being here. Jeff, really, thank you for just, you know, I, I have to say this real quick. I followed you. You know, yes, you're on the radio, but I, I, I have known you uh, from my research of the dedication that you have given to not only law enforcement because of your background, but just it, it first responders, firefighters. I mean, I can go down the list, EMTs, nurses, doctors, you know, the list will continue. So I just want to mention real quick, thank you for that. Thank you for, you know, just being a voice for many of those that have already you know, perished with this, but continuing to be a voice of us that are alive as well. So let me just say that real quick before we just get into anything. Thank you. Well, you're most welcome. It's far too kind. I appreciate you saying that. Tim, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and, and how you decide, i got to get to New York and help. Well, I, I got to tell you this, Jeff. I'm, I'm one of those type of uh, EMS providers that, you know, even though the rule of thumb is you're supposed to go home to your family safe, I'm the guy that would probably flip a vehicle over to save a life of a squirrel. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm also that guy will go into that burning house, will we'll go into a burning car. Not to say that I have, but I, I would have done that. Um, the day of the, you know, the 9-11, ironically, a buddy of mine had just, uh, received his first responder patch in the mail, and we I took him to a local restaurant for, for a little, you know, just a little celebratory uh, brunch, if you would. And then uh, when we returned to my house to continue throughout, you know, the day of celebration and excitement, because he really worked hard for that, I leave my TV on for my pets. And when I walked in the door, I saw that first plane hit the building. And I, I, I of course, like many, I didn't know what I was watching right away, so I had to kind of regroup and get my thoughts together and then when katie carrick after the second plane hit she's like oh my god what did we just witness of something like that and instantly jeff i knew when they said there would be about fifty thousand people trapped in that building of course as they were tumbling down uh uh, and what we all witnessed sir i i instantly knew i went to my bank i took out what little savings i had i think it was like four thousand dollars it wasn't anything to brag about and I, I helped a volunteer, White Oak Volunteer Rescue Service. I funded the entire trip for us to drive, you know, six hours, whatever. Once we got all of our, our equipment together, I knew, sir, that I had to go. And I, I don't know why I had to go. I just knew that I needed to be there. And, and just to jump a start real quick, when I arrived, when we arrived, I should say, uh, in, a, in a marked ambulance, a certified ambulance, um, I, I got to the, the main check-in point, if you would, and I remember specifically the police officer saying, son, do you realize that you're 4,000 in two on the volunteer list? 
you are now at the bottom. And I said, no, 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 sir, you don't understand. And I, I, I'm a Pittsburgher. We don't, it, it, no is not too many options for us. Uh, well, that's maybe they're Steelers at this point, but we won't get into that. Uh, but no, what I, I said to him, I said, sir, you don't understand. I'm a Pittsburgher. It's deep in our soul to help people. This is the way I was raised, and I, I need to help. And the guy looked at me, and he said, you know what? This is what I'm going to do for you. And this really will segue how I got in there. Uh, he said, if you agree to set up the triage at ground zero, I'll let you down there. And I'm thinking to myself, set up a triage. We could do that in our sleep. That's, that's easy to do. But I'm, I'm humbled, and I'm shaking, and I'm crying, and we're all emotional because you can see the flames. You can smell the smells. You can hear the screams, the, the sirens, and all that what you've seen. I was living live at that point. And the guy allowed us to load up our ambulance, and we went to ground zero, passing 4,002 volunteers, hundreds of ambulances, watching and, and probably wondering why, Jeff, why is this White Oak Rescue Team getting into ground zero when they're equally just as qualified, and maybe if not more, why weren't they picked? I can't answer that. But I know that I was. We were. And we set up the triage. And, of course, we were there when the firefighter was, one of the firefighters was dug out alive. And we brought him into triage, and we, we, myself and a few others were, you know, doing our triage of him. But there was really nothing coming in alive, per se, other than the local people that were fighting. And then, of course, the following day, we had to start scanning the area. You know, you were assigned to local areas within that rubble, and you would clear that area. Spray painting X's. Uh, if there was a, you know, a biohazard, a, you know, a, unfortunately, a human remain, you would mark it on the vehicle. It was intense. I, I, I can smell it right now as I'm sitting here. I can hear it right now as I'm sitting here. And if you were to visually see me, you would see the tears that we all shared uh, during that time I'm having right now with you. You know, Tim, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to process some of it. Uh, the, the idea that uh, me as a Philadelphian has such warm thoughts about you as a Pittsburgher, right? That's, that's high on the list of, man, this just doesn't make sense. But then you go, oh, wait a minute. Tim's the guy who runs towards the flames. Tim's the guy uh, that, that drove hours and hours and hours to do this. And it, it just reminds me of what good men and women there are in the ranks of the firefighters and the EMTs. And, and you're charged with in triage. My God, you've got just it, can you do it in 20, 30 seconds to describe for people what what triage is supposed to be and what it wound up being? Well, triage is technically a, a main command area where the pre-hospital stages, you know, that's where we get all the equipment from the ambulance outside of the rigs. We call them rigs outside of the ambulances. And you get everything ready. You have certain uh, spots within these tent area, or I think it was Chambers High School, if I'm not mistaken. So we had the inside triage there. So we had people that would come in firefighters a trip and fall off the rubble they would come in they would be assessed by us medical team there was doctors and and nurses and everybody in this trio so it just wasn't the two of us by the way or three of us sure, there was sure. many many medical personnel in that triage area um we were just there to get it all set up and do our normal assessment like anybody else but of course the doctors and nurses who are higher uh as far as the medical chain goes that's what they do it was just it was a weird feeling of synchro you know, we're all synchronized together but it was so chaotic and scary. And, uh, you know, I can tell you this, 
you know, for myself, the hardest part, if I may just say this one thing to get out there, Jeff, the hardest part for all of us, and I'm not going to speak for other people outside of this EMS zone that we are with, the hard part for us, Jeff, was hearing the cell phones go off and the pagers go off and as rubbles. And as the days go by, it got less and less and less, and then it got silent. And I think that last pager, that last cell phone went off, was very, it was, it was sentimental to me because you, you heard those. You were listening to these phones, and you know who was calling. It wasn't their employer. Where were you? You didn't show up for work today. We know that it was family members, children's wives, husbands, uncles, parents, you name it, calling for their loved ones. So for me, sir, that was the ultimate, uh, uh, it was just difficult to hear that and listen to it go away eventually. Tim, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here today. Thank you for everything. No, thank you. No, thank, thank you. And, and thank you for what you, you, you did then, what you continue to do. Uh, I, I, I want to talk with you more, and, and, and let's, let, let's explore as we move forward, not just on September the 11th, but let's explore on some other days what, what first responders who were there on that day and dealt with this are dealing with now. Is that all right? Would you be willing to do that? Um, absolutely, and I will share my own personal uh, you know, trials with this uh, from ground zero what took place. I love it. I, I mean, I love the fact you'll come on. I don't love what you're dealing with, but... Uh, God bless you, my friend. We will talk again soon. That is Tim Bendig. Uh, and you don't know Tim's name, right? That's okay. Tim Bendig is a hero, although he would tell you he's not. Tim Bendig is, a, is an EMT in, in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, what does he have in connection to Ground Zero? He and a bunch of other EMTs from the Pittsburgh area jumped in their rig. He took his money, his life savings, put it into uh, you know food and gas and the rest of it, said, guys, we're going to Ground Zero. We're going to help. That's what we do. We're helpers. This is this where this is for me again a Colonel David Grossman moment. What did Colonel Dave Grossman tell us about sheepdogs and sheep? It doesn't have to do with weakness or strength. It just has to do with that inner feeling, that inner sense of duty. Make no mistake, Tim Bendig, sheepdog. Jeff Katz, News Radio WRVA. Brooklyn, the city Brooklyn, Manhattan. Uh, so basically, you're going to two World Trade Center. Box is 9998. Okay. Division 324. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Units call Manhattan one at a time, okay? Division 1 to Manhattan. One engine, go. Division 1 to Manhattan. All incoming units at the World 1 and World 2 Trade Center are to bring additional cylinders. Alright, engine 1, uh, repeat that, Kay, you're totally unreasonable. Division 1 to Manhattan, all responding units responding into number 1 and number 2 World Trade Center are to bring additional cylinders with them. Alright, all units stand by in less urgent and above Manhattan. All units responding into number 1 World Trade Center and number 2 World Trade Center. Bring all additional SDBA bottles to the front of the building. All units responding to box 8087 and 99 and 98. Number 1 and number 2 World Trade Center. Bring your extra SDBA bottles to the front of the building. As for the division. Other units call in Manhattan. It's incredible when you think back on this. There are uh, some some great texts coming in. I'll be sharing them uh, right after the 4 o'clock news. Easy enough to uh, text us, 833-804-1140, 833-804-1140.
I, I think back on September the 11th, 2001, and um, I, I just, I put things, I hope, in some sort of perspective. I was the father of one. My dad had just died. My wife wasn't particularly thrilled with where we were living. And then this. And, and everything just gets moved to a different part of the puzzle board at that point, doesn't it? Heidi and I uh, just sat and stared at Harry. He was, I don't know, two months old? A little, not even that, right? End of July? Yeah, uh, uh, call, it, call it a month and a half. Whatever it is. It is brand new. And we, we just, honest to God, we just sat there and we stared. What have we done? What have we done? We've brought this tiny, innocent little guy into a world that apparently is just going to really stink moving forward. And what happens to this country? What happens to the world? What happens to him? We, we, were, we were confused. That first day, you know, I, I mentioned to you, I was out late at this Monday night football party. Of course, some, some leftist loser said, well, you know, the party was over at 9 p.m., Jeff. Yeah, it was Las Vegas, my friend. Parties went 24 hours a day. Uh, our station, frankly, used the Monday night football game as an excuse to have a party for our listeners. But I, I, I look at that, and the next day thinking, man, I don't have anything to talk about, and I wind up being on the air for... I think it was 18 hours. Our world did change. Make no mistake about it. And it changed in a big, big way. It is 357, Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRVA. Where were you when the world stopped turning? That September day Were you in the yard With your wife and children or Working on some stage in L.A. Did you stand there in shock At the sight of that black smoke Rising against that blue sky Did you shout out in anger And fear for your neighbor Or did you just sit down and cry Did you weep for the children who lost their dear loved ones Pray for the ones who don't know Did you rejoice for the people who walked from the rubble And sob for the ones left below Did you burst out with pride for the red, white and blue And the heroes who died just doing what they do Did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer and look at yourself and what really matters. I'm just a singer of 406, Jeff Katz, News Radio WRVA. It is Monday, September the 11th, 2023. Coming up at 535, my friend, Sheriff Carl Leonard from Chesterfield County. Carl has a personal experience with what happened. In New York on September the 11th, 2001, people people know Carl, of course, as the sheriff of Chesterfield County. Some may 
not recall his service as a uh, command officer with the Chesterfield County Police Department, and others may be completely and totally unaware of Carl's service with the United States Coast Guard. But Carl was deployed to Ground Zero, and he'll be with us at 535. Earlier today, he delivered the keynote address at the, the ceremony honoring the fallen. We have fallen from all over the country. Now, I know we're talking about attacks, the Pentagon. We're talking about United 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. We're talking, obviously, about the World Trade Center in New York. We had victims all over the country. You had... Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Family members who, as Tim was just telling us, were were calling for days afterwards, seeing if their, their family members were okay. And those phones were ringing in the rubble. You had human beings who were left with a choice that is completely and totally unimaginable. You're on a high floor of the World Trade Center. The fire is intense. You are going to die. Think about that for a second. I, I don't mean the acknowledgement we all have. We not talk about it a lot, but we all have it, don't we? The, the day we're born, we begin that process, really, of, of dying at some point. At some point, the cells stop working. And every one of us who's here today will not be here at some point in the future. We, we, we get that. But think about this piece of knowledge that says you're going to die today. You're going to die in the next hour. It is your choice how you are going to die. Are you going to stay where you are on the high floor of the World Trade Center and be incinerated? You would die in all likelihood from smoke inhalation, which, in case you don't know, is a very, very painful way to go. Or you're going to jump from that high floor out of the building and onto the ground below. You're going to jump 80, 90, 100 stories, and you are 
going to die. But that is the one thing that remains constant at that point. You are going to die. That's what those terrorists did to those people. I mean, we talk about numbers. Oh, it's 29, it's 30,000, it's 3,000, it's this, it's that. Okay, I get it. They're all numbers. Right now, I want you to put yourself in the position of one human being on a high floor in the World Trade Center who's done nothing wrong. They got up in the morning. They, they, they took a shower. They said something nice to their kids or something angry to their kids or to their wife or their husband, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, whatever it is. They had that interaction with absolutely no idea that it was going to be their final interaction. And they went to work. They, they drove, they took the bus, they took the subway, but they went to work. They took the ferry in from Staten Island. They went to work. Maybe they were upset because they, they realized, my God, I, I, I forgot my wallet at home. I, 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 yeah, I got two bucks. I'm going to put it, I'll get it there in the bus and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to have money for lunch. Damn it. Think about that. Or, I can't believe that my my kid is screwing up in, in the math class. God, I'm a I'm I'm a I'm an actuary. This is what I, I play with numbers all day. How can my kid be messing up in math? That's what you're thinking. Or hopefully it's the other way around. You're sitting in, in your office, you've gone to work, and you're thinking, God, what an amazing wife I have. She's given so much. She, she, she has made our family so much better than I could have made it all on my own. Eh, look at our kids. Eh, the one guy's not doing great in math, but you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a good guy. And his sister, wow, she's got straight A's. She's going to any world-class institution she wants. Oh, it's not going to be easy, though. Well, that's why I'm working, right? Got to earn some money. Got to help them out. Maybe that's your last thought. I don't know. But on that day, your last thought is quite literally your last thought. Except for this. How are you going to go? That's what those terrorists did to those people. Now think about the ripples. The ripples across the country, around the world. The ripples in that family. What if you were that child who had, as your last interaction with your, your mom or your dad, this argument because you just couldn't be bothered doing your homework and they were really peeved at you? What if, for whatever reason, you were late, man, you, you weren't going to make the such and such train, and you just ran out the door and you forgot to kiss your husband goodbye? Or you didn't tell your girlfriend or your wife or your boyfriend or husband, whatever. You didn't tell them, yeah, I love you. You didn't hug your kids. You didn't have time. You had to get to work. That's what happened on that day. We'll talk more about it as we head through the afternoon. 413, Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRVA. Victor, we're on a city line. Two Victor, we're on a city line. Personnel responding to the control of the Brooklyn Bridge. Two units to respond to the authorized station area. 
Imagine for a second you're heading to the World Trade Center. Just imagine that for a second. There's some people who do things that just, they're unimaginable. Some people are wired that way. You know, I, look, I was a cop a thousand years ago. And, and there's always a, a running battle of words between cops and firefighters. Believe me, you, you ask any cop, current or former, we've all got at least a dozen firefighter, exam, uh, firefighter jokes. Ask any firefighter. You know any good cop jokes? Oh, sit down. And I'll make you dinner while I'm telling you the jokes. But here's what I know. Firefighters are nuts. They're crazy people. And I mean that with the utmost respect. They run into burning buildings. Does anybody run into a burning building? Who the heck would run into a burning building? Well, they do. And they do it every single solitary day. Now, imagine for a second you're a firefighter. You're, you're, you're out in Queens or Brooklyn or Staten Island. Or up in the Bronx. You're now being told you've got to go to the World Trade Center, the very southernmost part of Manhattan. They're calling in every ladder company, every engine company in the city of New York to come to what will become known as Ground Zero. They need all of those men and women. They need all of that apparatus. They're telling every EMT and paramedic in the entire city of New York, drop what you're doing and come here. And then they're telling folks outside the city of New York, Nassau County, Suffolk County, Westchester County, Ulster County. Guys, we are in a world of hurt. And those firefighters who were on their day off, do you know what they did? Because I told you they're crazy. God bless them, they're crazy. They came in on their day off. They went to their houses in New York. They didn't have to be there. They were off. Do you know how easy it would have been to say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I didn't hear the phone call. Sorry. just I, No, I don't, I don't turn on the news. I don't watch television or listen to the radio or do anything on my day off. They didn't do that. They figured out ways to get into Manhattan. And they went there. And they went into those towers. And let me tell you something. You know what they knew as they were going into those towers? Hundreds of them. You know what they knew? They knew they weren't coming out. They knew they were not going to ever exit the World Trade Center, and still they went in there hoping against hope, praying that they would be able to rescue someone else. Father Michael Judge, a Franciscan friar, the official chaplain for the New York City Fire Department, was right there. He was in what was the lobby as firefighters and cops went past him and said, would you please give me last rites? 
Well, why would somebody who's not Catholic ask for last rites from a Catholic priest, right? That was the question. Because they knew they were not coming out. It didn't matter. They were going in. They knew they were going in. And they were hoping that they were going to be able to rescue one person. But they knew they weren't going to be able to rescue themselves. That would not happen. I mentioned Father Michael Judge. Michael Judge was the first confirmed fatality on September the 11th, 2001 at the World Trade Center. There's an image of him being, well, his body being carried out. If you go to Facebook, I have posted on the Radio Cats page, R-A-D-I-O-K-A-T-Z, all sorts of memories and images and songs and sound clips from this day. For me, it's a mission. I'm going to tell you that flat out. I think I am obligated to help people, no, to make people remember what happened on September the 11th, 2001. So head on over to Facebook, look for Radio Cats, R-A-D-I-O-K-A-T-Z. 426, Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRBA. American Girls. And American guys, we'll always stand up and salute. We'll always recognize when we see old glory flying. There's a lot of men dead, so we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads. My daddy served in the army. We lost his right eye, but he flew a flag out in our yard. Till the day that he died, he wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me to grow up and live happy in the land of the free. Now this nation that I love is falling under attack. A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back. Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world like the 4th of July. Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRBA. We are remembering what happened on September the 11th, 2001, even as the President of the United States and his team at the White House are not. They decided he would not be at Ground Zero, would not be at the Pentagon, would not be at Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Why? Well, we'll discuss that more in detail as the days unfold. But I will tell you that there is a concerted effort to try and supplant in people's mind the idea that January the 6th, far more dangerous, far more important than September the 11th. Just so you know that going forward. 833-804-1140, 833-804-1140. Now, I think I've mentioned to you the challenge we have with our texts. 
is that sometimes they get all kerfuffled here. They, you know, one part moves over there, one part no moves over there. So sometimes it takes a couple months to try and piece them back together. But uh, I did want to share some of them with you, 833-804-1140. Jeff, I was at Reynolds Metals here in Richmond. I will never, ever forget one of the saddest days of my life, except the two days my parents died. God bless you, Jeff. That's uh, Steve Barham from Barham Seafood. He says, by the way, I'm also uh, running for the Board of Soups out here in Powhatan. Keep up the good fight. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, I wish you well. Steve Barham, just one of the, uh, the the best guys that I know. Barham Seafood, man. If you're you're looking for quality seafood, they've, they've always got it. Great stuff. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Another text says, Jeff, my friend was calling me from Queens and looking out across the river, the burning po- towers during the call. Later... Uh, Later that day, he found out that his cousin was a firefighter who died in the collapse of Tower Number 2. Man. Man. Everybody knew somebody or sort of knew somebody, right? Jeff, I was at my home in central New Jersey when my good friend called me, uh, told me about the first plane to strike the Trade Center. Several years earlier, we had spent two years on the Silk Road retracing the entire journey of Marco Polo from Venice to Asia and back again without flying. Some 25,000 miles over land and sea. Wow. Jeff, I was working as a police officer in Chesterfield on that day. I was serving papers when I noticed that everyone was watching something on their TVs. Man. Then I heard a report of a fire at the Pentagon on the radio. And then over the course of the day, I heard information trickling in, but no one knew at that time what was actually happening. That's Chuck Chesterfield. Jeff, 9-11-2001, I was sitting in a fifth grade history class. In dead silence, the history teacher turned on the news because we were in class. We, we watched live as the second plane hit. He simply stated that we were watching history unfold in front of us. Jeff, I was a civilian subcontractor at Fort Lee. I remember that all essential personnel had to leave the base. We already knew what had happened to the Twin Towers in New York. It was a beautiful, clear day, and after about two hours, I was off the base. I uh, went to the first gas station I could find to fill up my vehicle. All right. A couple of others here. I'm, again, just trying to sort of piece them. I don't know why it does that, but it does that. Uh, let me see, 833-804-1140. Uh, Mike in Surrey says, Thank you for your sensitivity, your compassion, and your insight. It is as though you were reaching into our innermost thoughts and expressing how we always feel about 9-11. Thank you. Indeed, we shall never forget. That is uh, Mike in Surrey. I hope we don't forget. I hope so. Jeff, this is uh, Chris from Ashland. I was in college studying criminal justice on September the 11th. My professor told us to go out in the hallway and look at the television. I was shocked and at a loss for words. It was an amazing, difficult time. I mean, remember now, each and every one of these terrorists, each and every one of these Islamists was here in the United States taking advantage of our freedom. And on a personal level, for me, for Heine, for our families, they, they, they were all flying through Logan. 
And all that I could think of was, my God, how many times have I flown through you, through Logan, from Logan to Logan, through Logan, Logan International Airport in Boston? I was, I, I was there all the time. Because at the time, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the radio. I'm also doing the, the professional wrestling national television. Man, I was in and out of that airport. I knew people there. State troopers that would, you know, we'd chat before we go somewhere. The, the people at the Dunkin' Donuts. And these despicable terrorists flew from Logan on their mission to slaughter Americans. And, and what was it that we were supposed to do? Remember something. Technology 22 years ago was... Well, let's just say it's not what it is now. We, we know that, right? I mean, you, you buy a phone today, you buy a computer today, tomorrow there's a better one available. Now, now think about 22 years. But Heidi, when, when she became aware of this, she was at home, she was nursing Harry. And as is her, her habit, she was not listening to me. But she was watching, I think it was the Today Show. And that's where she was getting this information. And she's calling me at the station. Boom, bang, bang. What's going on? What are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. What's happening? And then she starts calling because she's got her aunt lives in Brooklyn, New York. She can't get a hold of her. Oh, my God. Is she okay? Her family lives greater Boston area. She had a sister who could have been traveling through Logan that day, and she couldn't get a hold of her aunt in Brooklyn. All the cell service was down, man. Nobody could get a hold of anybody. Nobody knew what was going on, who was alive, who had died. I got those calls in Las Vegas from retired cops, retired firefighters from New York saying, can you please announce that we're putting essentially a caravan together? We're getting the retired guys, and we're all going back. It's going to take us whatever it's going to take us, but we're driving from Las Vegas to New York because we've got to be there to help. That's what was going on. Police officers, firefighters, EMTs from all over the country doing everything possible to get to New York. I remind you of 343 New York City firefighters who died on that day. But do you know that more than that have died since then as a result of the, the toxic fumes, the cancers that have developed? Man, 3,000 people die that day, right? More than 3,000. And now more than that number have died as a result of ground zero toxic fumes and chemicals. I can run down the list of agencies that lost people, but I want you to think about each of those individuals. How about those folks who rushed there? doing more than they should have ever been expected to do. And now, 22 years later, they're dying. That's what these terrorists did. It was not a one and done. 
And now we have a generation that looks at September the 11th, 2001. What is it? Half a page in a history book? And even that history, you can take a look at it and you can see what's been cleansed and erased and rewritten. You and I, the living, have an obligation to the dead. And this is the best I could do. But I'm going to keep doing it. It is 445, Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRVA. Control citywide news signal 1040 has been announced in the lower of Manhattan, 01 World Trade Center. Time at 851, I'm 839. I need conditions all four upon arrival. I need a 12 of the staging again and the unit. Control 4, we're in the right contact. Time for LSU. 01, trying to find staging at the World Trade Center. Two Victor to citywide, heading across the bridge. 732 Everybody was trying to get there. Everybody had been told they need to get there. You heard the one guy. He didn't even know how to get to the staging area. Now think about this. You got the city of New York. You had 8 million people there. Police department is uh, 30, 33,000. It's bigger than military in a lot of countries. It's bigger than the FBI by a factor of three. Got the fire department, tens thousands of members, and you've got guys who have worked, quite frankly, their entire life. Say uh, far stretches of Queens, they they don't know where the heck the World Trade Center really. Is. I mean, they know it's in Lower Manhattan, but the dispatcher had given the staging location, the address, the intersection, and they didn't know. But they had to get there. Think about that. Think about some of the folks on board the flights as well. We we, we heard a moment ago, uh, American seventy three. Uh, American 11 is another one we need to listen to. Cut, uh, cut number four, American 11, please. Nobody moves. Everything will be okay. If you try to make any moves, you'll danger yourself and the airplane. Just stay quiet. Nobody moves, please. We are going back to the airport. Don't try to make any stupid moves. Anybody know what that smoke is in lower Manhattan? I'm sorry, Singer? A lot of smoke in lower Manhattan. A lot of smoke and lower in Manhattan. Out of the uh, top of the World Trade Center building, a major fire. Hey, can you look out your window right now? Yeah. Can you can you see God about four thousand feet, about five east of the airport right now? Looks like he's. Yeah, I see him. You see God? Look, is he descending for the building also? He's descending really quick too. Yeah. Well, that's twenty five hundred feet now. He just dropped eight hundred feet in like a, like one one sweep. That's that's another situation. Another one just hit the building. Wow. Wow. Another one just hit it hard. Another one just hit the world side. The whole building just uh, came apart. Holy smokes. It's incredible. I mean, people are living their lives as this is going on, right? People all over the country, all over the world. Nobody imagines this. Nobody thinks of this. It's just another day. And there it is. It's the final day for some. 
you heard as part of that one of the uh, one of the terrorists, one of the Al Qaeda operatives, one of these Islamists who changed the entire world, slaughtered Americans, innocent Americans. They didn't ask, by the way, when they were flying planes into the World Trade Center. You know who you were. Do you have any kids? Where are you from? What uh, what faith do you practice? Didn't matter. They were going to slaughter you. They they had a mission. Just ask them. Oh, they were willing to tell you about it. They told us all about it, didn't they? And then there was celebration. See, you need to remember something. And I'll share this right after the 5 o'clock news. As I was broadcasting from Las Vegas this mo- that morning, we were, we were trying, all of us, to get in touch with family members back east, people we knew in, in New York and in Boston. And we had a, a whole circle of radio people. And we were all trying to reach out to everybody. Say, man, do you know anything? Is there something more? Not everybody had the Internet in 2001. Not everybody had a computer at home in 2001. Cell phones were not then what they are now. There were still people in 2001. I know, I know children will giggle at this. But there were still people in 2001 who were carrying pagers. You may not even know what a pager is. Maybe you saw it in one of those old movies. But that's the fact. Well... There was uh, there was one guy at this Las Vegas radio station KXNT who told was able to chat with the representative of the Palestinian Authority that day, and suffice to say, it was a rather interesting conversation. We'll talk about it. Five oh five. It is four fifty six. Jeff Katz, News Radio WRVA. Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September day? Were you in the yard with your wife and children or working on some stage in L.A.? Did you stand there in shock at the sight of that black smoke rising against that blue sky? Did you shout out in anger and fear for your neighbor? Or did you just sit down and cry? Did you weep for the children who lost their dear loved ones Pray for the ones who don't know? Did you rejoice for the people who walked from the rubble And sobbed for the ones left below? Did you burst out with pride for the red, white, and blue and the heroes who died just doing what they do Did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer And look at yourself and what really matters I'm just a singer of simple songs I'm not a real Jeff Katz, News Radio WRVA Half hour from now, Carl Leonard will be with us Sheriff of Chesterfield County Retired uh, major from the Chesterfield County Police Department. Retired captain from the United States Coast Guard. Carl was somebody who served and served and served and then served some more. That's absolutely amazing when you think about Carl's service personally. I mean, seriously, you, you, you think about that. 
And then you sort of extrapolate. You think about those like Tim Bendig who chose to go there. I mean, you had, you had different people in different places on that day. You had members of the police departments in New York City, fire department, the EMS. At that time, they had a separate EMS, right? It wasn't yet merged into the fire department. They had to go. Guys who were on duty, right? You were on duty. That was your call. Boom, you got to go. Then you had guys who were off duty, who were called in. I'm going to remind you about something. They didn't really have to go, did they? Well, yes, they had been ordered in, but what if they knew? Hey, you know, I'm on my day off. I'm not answering the phone. Not answering the phone. No, 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 no. Now, they'd probably have to come up with some explanation. Well, they say, well, I don't watch TV on my day off. I don't listen to the radio on my day off. My phone wasn't working. Whatever it was. But those guys and gals all answered up. Make no mistake about it. They went. Then you had folks in the surrounding areas. So we're, we're, we're going. You had a guy like Carl Leonard. Who's activated, right? Told, hey, it's an order. You're going to go. Okay, you do what you do. Tim Bendig, he didn't have to go. Nobody asked him to go, let alone ordered him to go. He's an EMT in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Six, seven hours away from New York. Not only did he go, he used his life savings to finance the trip of his rescue squad members to go. I mentioned to you some of the things that had been cleansed since September the 11th, 2001. Now, on that morning, my producer, I mentioned to you, uh, to you rather, my producer, right? We called him British Steve. Steve was, not surprisingly, British. And uh, we at the uh, the radio station out in Las Vegas, we were CBS affiliates. And so Steve and I were, were trying to get information. We were trying to get people to comment on things. Trying to just find out what, what the hell was going on. I don't know. Was the answer for most? I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. I just don't know. But we were all watching television, too. Even those of us on the radio were watching TV. Remember, not everybody had the Internet in their homes in 2001. And, make no mistake about it, uh, there were no real smartphones. The smartest phones we had were Blackberries. Little teeny tiny keyboard on, on them. You could sort of kind of text, but you weren't doing anything other than that. That was the smartest those phones were. So we were watching television. I watched television and I watched celebrations on the West Bank. I saw women and men and children 
throwing candy in the air and celebrating. I was appalled, disgusted that anyone, anywhere, would celebrate the slaughter of innocence. But that's what was happening, and I watched it. Well, British Steve, the producer, was working the phones, man. And he got a hold of the PLO ambassador and said, he, he led with the fact that we were a CBS affiliate. I don't think the ambassador fully understood when British Steve referred to CBS. And I think the UN ambassador thought that he was going to be on the, uh, the, the national television news, but it didn't matter. He was on the air. And we chatted, and he said a couple of things. And I said, by the way, sir, I'm sitting here watching television, and I'm watching people in the West Bank, on the West Bank in, in PLO, Palestinian Authority territory, celebrating. And he said, oh, no, no, that's not happening. And I said, oh, yes, it is. I'm watching it live on television. No, 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 that's not happening. It is. I'm watching it live on television. Well, you don't understand what's going on. I sure as hell do. They are celebrating the slaughter of innocents. Uh, No, that's... uh, They are. He then accused me of being a tool of the Zionists and, and hung up the phone. And I thought, okay, well... I don't know that I'm a a tool of the Zionists or tool of anybody, really. Some might say just a tool. I know, I know. But all I know, all I know is what I saw. And I did watch it live on television. And it was clear as a bell. Coming up at uh, 535, my friend Carl Leonard. Carl Leonard was at Ground Zero after the attacks. Some of the photos that he has shared with me through the years were are just incredible. I, I, I just sit back and think, my God. Some of the conversations you and I have had through the years. You know, every every year for 10 years, it's not that I'm lazy, but I know what's important. We share the same audio clips every year for the last 10 years and these are the same audio clips that I've used on radio stations in other parts of America as I've been there every single year since these attacks some of you know them some of you've gotten used to them at this point that's okay because I don't want anybody to forget what happened that day I don't want anybody to forget what happened. It's 514, Jeff Katz, News Radio WRBA. Okay, I have got to interrupt you right now. Sorry. Richard Hack, thank you very much. We appreciate the book is called Hughes. We want to go live right now and show you a picture of the World Trade Center where I understand. Do we have it? No, we do not. We have a breaking story, though. We're going to come back with that in just a moment. First, this is today on NBC. It's 8.52 here in New York. I'm Bryant Gumbel. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. We don't know if it was a commercial aircraft. 
Now by the entire ABC network. Uh, Good Morning America was in progress in the East Coast and the Midwest, but we're joined by the entire network just to show you some pictures at the foot of New York City. This is at the World Trade Center. Obviously a major fire there, and there has been some sort of explosion. We don't fully know the details. There is one report, as of yet unconfirmed, that a plane has hit of the World Trade Center, and you can see that there is smoke there coming out of at least two sides of the building. We do have some breaking news that we want to bring you around, and we're going to go to a picture, a live picture from New York City. Apparently, a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center in New York, 852. We have limited information at this point. We don't know about injuries uh, in the building or people on the ground, but obviously this has potential there. for, for, for being a, a major uh, disaster here. Look at that. As Matt just mentioned, we have a breaking news story to tell you about. Apparently, a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center here in New York City. It happened just a few moments ago, apparently. We have very little information available. We are, uh, we have, I understand, an eyewitness on the phone right now. Sir. Did you witness it live? Most of us here at the moment witnessed it live in some sense or another, did we not? 833-804-1140. Scott from Hopewell says, Jeff, I was teaching math in Middlesex Borough, New Jersey when it happened. My wife worked in Manhattan. She was pregnant with our now 21-year-old son. It is still a difficult day for her, especially as she could see people falling from the towers from her place of work. That's, that's something people forget about. We had, there were such descriptions that day. Such descriptions. Jeff, I lost my husband in February 2001. The grief I felt for him was still raw as 9-11 happened. I was at a doctor's office. He pulled me out of the exam room to watch the TV. He asked me what I thought. My gut reaction said deliberate. No doubt as we watched plane number two. From Jan, Jeff, I was in my little office when my supervisor snapped out my name. I knew to get to his office on the double. However, uh, it didn't have anything to do with work. He said we were going to be bombed. I felt like freezing water in my arms and legs, but somehow I made it to our linen closet where, where I got sick after having watched the TV. Wow. Wow, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, let me see here. Bill from Powhatan. No, I'm sorry, hang on a second, hold on. Again, we've got this bizarre sort of setup with the text where it's just messes things up. Jeff, I was the shift lieutenant at the Hopewell Police Department. We were in a shift briefing when the first plane hit. I put my men on the road. We headed to hospitals and any other business that uh, might have been a target to set up meetings for security assessments. There was an eerie silence on the radio. Wow. Um, most everyone... He's getting instructions from the chief's office to inform him. I went back to the squad room just as the second plane hit. I returned to the chief's office, informed him of the second plane. First words out of his mouth were, this is a terrorist attack. That set the tone for the rest of the day. Staff meetings, contacting the chemical companies, hospitals, etc. Wow. Uh, Gary. Uh, yeah, that's Gary. I'm sorry. He's, a, he's the retired lieutenant from Hopewell. Uh, Jeff, it's Bill from Powhatan here, 29 Marine Corps veteran, a police officer in New Jersey. I was in Washington when it happened. 
listening to uh, all of your coverage today is bringing tears to my eyes. I lost a lot of friends since that happened. Thank you for what you're doing. Jeff, remember, though, many of those Port Authority police officers were lost under the towers. Never forget, always remember. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jeff, there were people on 9-11 throwing candy to kids in Patterson's in New Jersey. I know because I was living the next town over. That's Tim and Henrico. Jeff, I was an Army First Sergeant stationed at Walter Reed. My colonel's wife was a budget analyst at the Pentagon, lost her life in the attack. I got maybe four hours sleep over the next three days. Someone else, Jeff, my dad was United States Navy stationed in Pearl Harbor on December the 7th, 1941, when 9-11 happened and brought back memories of that fateful day. Stories that my dad reluctantly shared with me growing up about the carnage he had witnessed, but also the bravery and the heroism he saw firsthand. 12-7-41 and 9-11-2001, two days etched in history and forever changed America. That's B.B. In Henrico, I, I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. We'll chat with someone who, well, whose life changed. Carl Leonard was known to many as a, as a major in the Chesterfield County Police Department, known to many as a, as a captain, full bird captain in the United States Coast Guard. What many of us do not know is that he was deployed to Ground Zero, he was the uh, keynote speaker earlier today at the uh, Virginia War Memorial as there was an observation of all of this. We've got just enough time here, and there's a little bit of a technical challenge, but you, you, you've got to listen to this little snippet. I play it every year, have for well, going on 22 years. Melissa Doy, a young lady who went to work in the World Trade Center and never came home. Oh, my God. Good morning. Have a good day. Hi, what's your number again, please? 865. 865. Oh, my God. I'm on the 83rd floor. 865. I'm on the 83rd floor. 865. Yeah, the World Trade Center. Someone having difficulty breathing on the 83rd floor. Okay, ma'am. How you doing? Is it? Is it? Is it? Are they going to be able to get somebody up here? Well, of course, ma'am. We're coming up to you. Well, there's no one here yet, and the floor is completely engulfed. We're on the floor, and we can't breathe. Okay. And it's very, very, very hot. It's very. Is it all the lights still on? The lights are on, but it's. Okay, you stay calm with me, okay? I understand I you. I think there is fire because it's very hot. 
Okay. It, it's very hot everywhere on the floor. Okay. I know you don't see it, and I know, but we, I'm going to document. I'm documenting what you say. Okay. And it's very hot. I see no fire, but you see smoke, right? It's very hot. I see. I don't. Okay. see any air anymore. Okay. All I see is smoke. Okay, dear. I'm so sorry. Hold on one. Stay calm with me. Stay calm. Please. Uh, listen, the call is in. I'm documenting. I'm going to let them... Hold on one second, please. I'm going to die, aren't No, 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 no. Say I'm going to die. Ma'am, 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 say your prayers. And we're not going to... We're going to think positive because you got to help each other get off the floor. You know what happened. The floor collapsed. Melissa Doy never went home. Her family never saw her again. We can't forget Melissa Doy. 528, Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRVA. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd worked for all my life And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me. And I gladly stand up next to It is a Monday, September the 11th, 2023. No as tough as it is to believe for many of us, 22 years since the brutal Islamist terrorist attacks September the 11th, 2001, the World Trade Center. This, by the way, not the first attack on the World Trade Center. The Pentagon, United 93, crashed into the ground in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And the world was turned upside down and inside out. And many of us just had no idea where where we were going to head from that point. I've told you, I, I was sitting there with Heidi when I finally got off the air. Was, I was gone for a day. Which was nothing when I think about it because there were men and women mobilized all over the country who were gone for weeks on end, months on end. They were told, you're going to ground zero. You're, you're, you're going to search for people. Really? Survivors? Are there survivors in there? God, I hope so. How do you deal with that? Let me tell you something. Somebody who is uh, uh, an, an amazing, incredible credit to Central Virginia's Carl Leonard. And most people know Carl now as the sheriff of Chesterfield County. Many remember him as a command officer with the Chesterfield County Police Department. Some may or may not know about uh, uh, Carl's service in the United States Coast Guard, retiring, if memory serves correctly, as a full bird captain. Uh, but he was also sent to ground zero. And uh, I, I wanted to hear his story. I, I know he shared it earlier today at the Virginia War Memorial. But, Carl, thank you so much for being here in the afternoon. Thank you for having me. And uh, that entrance song there has really got to me because uh, uh, we got to be proud to be Americans in this country. We do. And I think sometimes people forget it or they just, they just take it for granted, don't they? Uh, they do. And uh, if you think about it in this term, 
uh, all those young men and women who are eligible to join the U.S. military today weren't even born when 9-11 occurred, and they don't have that in their DNA, that, that patriotism that I think we, we saw right after that, and we saw, quite frankly, after the attacks on Pearl Harbor. That's right. That's right. And, you know, we have an entire generation, Carl, now that we think about it, men and women who went into the military or who went into law enforcement or firefighting or EMS, they've now done their 20 years and they've retired. Correct. It's, it's, it's Correct. a crazy thought. Uh, you were deployed there. And, and as I read your story, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, you didn't even know you had been deployed until you, you thought some of this was not a joke. But, you know, if it really were, were a deployment, somebody would have told you to tell everybody what really happened for you. Well, at the time, I was with the Chesterfield Police Department uh, as a captain with them uh, the day of 9-11. Uh, but I also served in the reserves. I was with a gunboat squadron out of Fort Eustis, Virginia, and a uh, 150-person uh, team down there that responds anywhere in the world to handle those uh, force protection issues we're faced with. And uh, the next morning, to, uh, Wednesday morning after the attack, I was going to Defense Supply Center in Chesterfield County to talk to their team about security measures at 5 o'clock in the morning when I received a call from my best friend who was also in a reserve unit from me asking me if I was driving him to the unit or if he was driving me. And uh, I, I said, what are you talking about? And he said, we've been deployed. We're going to New York. I said, I'm the operations officer for the unit. I'm the third in command. I would know for being deployed. Don't mess with me. He said, no, I'm serious. We're being deployed. We've got to be there in an hour. I said, no, I, I know this isn't true because I would know. So I said, I'll call you right back. So I called the unit, and as soon as I called, the executive officer answered, and I said, XO, did you forget to call somebody last night? And he, he realized right away he forgot to call me. So, in fact, we were mobilized. Uh, I had a report to Fort Eustis in less than an hour leave my job at the police department, leave my family for an undetermined amount of time, not knowing what we were going into. And our convoy um, first had to pass the Pentagon going up north. We had to see that with our convoy going up to New York City. But then it was eerie, Jeff, because as we approached New York City, there was stillness over the city after the attack. It was very dark everywhere. It was late at night, but off in the distance is this glow uh, and it was the glow of Ground Zero still burning uh, the day after, and it lit up the skyline, and it was just an eerie feeling. Uh, for me, it was personal. My father was born and raised in New York City. I grew up as a child in New York City, uh, and I spent time there growing up. So this was personal. To see this sight uh, was just uh, heart-wrenching. And, uh, and we set up operations, and by that night, we were on patrol in the Harlem River, patrolling New York City and Ground Zero. A day after it, Carl, it's still, I mean, it's an active scene in every sense of the word, a crime scene, a fire ground. It's, it, it's all there. Uh, people are, are hoping and praying that there's somebody left alive in that rubble. But did you guys have a sense that you weren't going to recover anybody? I, I think it was painfully obvious that this was a catastrophe of uh, something we've never seen before in uh, we unfortunately recovered, and we, I say we, the entire team, not just you know the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard is there really in, in running the entire operation because of the Posse Comitatus Act, which does not allow armed forces to be used for law enforcement inside the United States. So a lot of people don't understand the Coast Guard really ran a lot of this uh, operation in Ground Zero. Uh, the, the 
the fever pitch of recovery efforts was remarkable. Uh, nonstop, 24 hours a day, people just trying to, to find whatever they can find, whoever they could save. In reality, Jeff, less than 300 people were recovered out of the over 3,000 who perished. And something happened. You, you shared this, and, and I don't know if folks are familiar with this situation, but as someone was recovered, I mean, th- th- these are not full bodies at this point. I mean, we're talking about tiny, but, but, but every one of you, would you stopped, right? So it's amazing to know if anybody's been in New York City, you know how loud of a city it is. And obviously at the search and rescue operations with the cranes and bulldozers and dump trucks, it's immensely loud at ground zero when these rescue operations are going on. But every time they recovered anything, it could be a finger of a person, silence befell the entire area. Everything would come to a halt. Every car would stop. Every piece of equipment would stop. They would take whatever piece of, 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 of person they recovered, treat it with such reverence and respect. Uh, they would put it in a waiting ambulance or hearse for the procession down to the makeshift morgue that was there. And all along the route, everybody would salute uh, as this went by them to the morgue. And the silence was eerie in New York City to see when this happened. Uh, but they paid that much reverence to whatever they could recover. And as soon as the the piece got to the morgue, the workforce went back to recovery operations and the noise was back up. So it was it was quite a sight to see the honor that they paid to whatever they could recover. Joining us for a few moments is Carl Leonard. He is the, uh, the sheriff of Chesterfield County. He was at Ground Zero uh, the next day, deployed by the United States Coast Guard. You know, Carl, people think, oh, it's 22 years ago. Whatever happened, happened. Boy, we're, we're all moving forward. But here's the reality of it. Uh, we had 410,000 first responders, cleanup crews, survivors who were all there uh, at Ground Zero who were, were dealing with toxins all sorts of toxic chemicals crushed concrete the asbestos was was i mean it it, it just was everywhere um and 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 these folks are now dealing with illnesses including mesothelioma uh 20 some odd years later are 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 you concerned for yourself Uh, i i am Uh, i will tell you that uh, we all worked in this smoke the smolders the burning went on for weeks uh, after the attack. Uh, we just had to do what we had to do. We were working this environment. Yes, there was smoke. We were inhaling it. Even as much as our meals, when we sit and have our meals there at Ground Zero, they would be covered a little bit in some of the soot that would land on it. But, you know, we had to do what we had to do. Uh, so there is this New York City uh, Twin Tower registry for people who worked at Ground Zero. Uh, I am part of it uh, because uh, anybody who inhaled it is at risk. And as you say, some of these things won't even surface for 20 years. Uh, I myself went through uh, a bout with cancer in 2009. Uh, I am covered by the World Trade Center Registry for my exposure when I was there. Luckily for me, I had surgery and was able to take care of me. But that's not the case for everybody, Jeff. And the fact of the matter is today, where 3,000 people were killed in the attack on September 11th, over 4,000 first responders have since died from their effects at working at Ground Zero. 43 New York City firefighters passed just this year from their exposure while working at Ground Zero. Wow. Carl, 
thank you for being here. God bless you, my friend. That is Carl Leonard. He is the uh, sheriff of Chesterfield County. He was at ground zero the day after these attacks deployed by the Coast Guard. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of men and women were there uh, in one capacity or another. And 22 years later, they're dealing with all of the after effects. 545, Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRVA. Sure, uh, there were people... So you have no idea right now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. Right. Oh, my God. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building. Flew right into the middle of it. Explosion. My God, it's right in the middle of the building. This one into the East Tower. Yes. Yes. Right in the middle of the building. It does not appear that there's any kind of a, an effort up there yet. Now, remember, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That looks like a second plane. Has just I didn't see a plane go in. That that just exploded. We I, just saw another plane coming saw, in from the side. You did. I did that was out of absolute Yes, and that's view. the second explosion. You could see the plane. Uh, Jim Friedel in Hoboken uh, said it appeared to bank sharply and mm. smash directly, perhaps purposefully, into. Oh, oh my goodness! Oh God! There's another <clears throat> one. Oh. oh my goodness! There's another this one. This seems to be on purpose. Oh my goodness! Another now you, plane? now it's obvious. I think that uh, th there's a second plane just crashed into the World Trade Center. I think we have a terrorist act. I mean, do you know if there were many people in the building? Oh, another one just hit. Something else just hit. A very large plane oh. just oh. flew directly over my building, and there's been another collision. Can you see it? I yes. can see it on this shot. Oh my! Something else has you just. You know what? We just saw a plane circling the building. We just saw a plane circling the building a second ago on the shot right before I that. I think there may have been another impact. Can you tell? I just heard another very loud bang and a very large plane that might have been a DC. It's amazing to think it was 22 years ago. It's hard to imagine that it was 22 years ago. I don't want us to ever forget. I want us to remember every one of the, the heroes who ran into those buildings. I want you to remember the innocent people who were slaughtered that day. I hope you remember the, the first responders and the cleanup crews and everybody else who 20 years later is dealing with cancer as a result of being at ground zero. And, and despite what I read in, uh, in the newspaper this morning, the enemy is not us. It's absurd. Many of us have children who don't know what happened that day. My oldest guy has no recollection. He's read a half a page in a history book in a class. And quite frankly, I think the coverage in history classes is appalling. Please, please, if nothing else comes out of this program after three decades, I ask you to keep these heroes and these innocent victims in your thoughts and prayers every single day. Tomorrow morning, my friend John Reed will be here at 6 a.m. Make sure that you are here for that. God willing, you and I get the chance to do all of this tomorrow, starting at 3. Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRBA.
Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.